In James 1.18, James stated that salvation is dependent upon the word of truth. The word of truth, as we saw, refers to the scriptures. Psalm 119, verse 43, Do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I wait for your ordinances. Ecclesiastes 12.10, The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. 2 Corinthians 6, 7, In the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and the left. Now the scripture is referred to as the word of truth because it is free from error or inerrant. Psalm 119, verse 160, The sum of your word is truth. Proverbs 8, 8, All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. John 17, 17, Thy word is truth. You see, inerrancy means that the scriptures are not only free from error in their original autographs, but that they are incapable of error. In other words, the scripture is in perfect agreement with truth. So when the Bible speaks on matters of doctrine, it is true. When it speaks of history, it is true. When it speaks on matters of science, it is true. When it speaks on matters of geography, it is true. If it speaks on matters of geology, it is true. It must be inerrant. Otherwise, the scripture is not trustworthy. And the importance of inerrancy involves the central message of the scripture, the gospel. Ephesians 1.3 In him you also, after listening to the message or word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, Colossians 1.5. You see, my friends, if the Bible cannot be trusted in earthly matters, such as history, science, geography, geology, then it cannot be trusted in heavenly matters, such as the gospel. John 3.12, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And so for the remainder of chapter 1, James turns his focus to the word of truth. In James 1, to 27, James is going to encourage us to be doers of the word. But first, he teaches us in chapter 1, verse 19 to 21, how to receive the word of truth that's been implanted in our hearts. And my friends, we are to receive the word of truth by first accepting the the scripture, and secondly, by applying it to our lives. By accepting it and by applying it. So the first step for believers to receive the word of truth is to simply accept the word of truth. Chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now James begins here with a reminder. This you know. The verb you know, oida, means to be aware of a specific piece of knowledge or information. That James uses the imperative form here of this verb implies that we, believer, are to take note of something or we're to understand something. It's the Greek equivalent of urging someone to listen to something that they should not miss. 
James continues with the word or the phrase, everyone must be. The verb must be is also an imperative, denoting that everyone or all those who have been born again are duty-bound to do something. Now, since verse 18 placed attention upon the word of truth, then the command here in verse 19 is this. Because of our new birth through the word of truth, we should understand that we are duty-bound to accept the word of truth. That's our duty. Accepting the word of truth is our duty. And accepting the word of truth requires us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. These three requirements for accepting the word of truth forms the fifth triad that James employs in his epistle. You'll remember back in verse 2, he gave us three steps to deal with trials. Consider it pure joy when facing trials. Know that the testing of faith produces endurance and allow endurance to have its perfect result. In verses 3 and 4, we saw three results of trials. It purifies faith, produces patience, and produces maturity. In verse 4, we had three results of endurance. Be perfect, will be complete, and will be lacking nothing. In verse 14 and 15, we were given three metaphors about temptation. We were given a fishing metaphor, a birth metaphor, and a death metaphor. And now here in verse 19, we are given three requirements for accepting the word of truth. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to anger. Now James' fifth triad, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, was based upon a familiar Jewish proverb of the day. According to the Mishnah, quote, there are four types of disciples, swift to hear and swift to lose or forget. His pain is canceled by his loss. Slow to hear and slow to lose. His loss is canceled by his gain. Swift to hear and slow to lose. This is a happy lot. Slow to hear and swift to lose. This is an evil lot. Now more specifically, James adopts the command to be quick to hear from the Jewish writing Sirach. Sirach 5.11 states, Be quick to hear, but deliberate in answering. And he enjoins the command, be quick to hear, to the commands, be slow to speak and slow to anger, which originate in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs 14.29, He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. Ecclesiastes 5.1-2, Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. Draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So these three admonitions form a wordplay around quick and slow. And James employs this wordplay throughout his epistle as a means of reinforcing his arguments. So the first requirement to accepting the word of truth is to be quick to hear. Quick to hear. Now the term quick, takas, means to perform or do something with little or no delay. It implies a readiness to heed or obey. The verb to hear, akuo, means to listen with intention. It implies that as one listens, they heed what they have heard. In other words, believer, you and I must be ready and eager to hear and heed the word of truth. Are you? 
Are you eager and ready to hear the word of truth? You see, ultimately, the word of truth contains divine wisdom. And since we need wisdom when we're facing trials, we should hear and heed God's word. As Kurt Richardson stated, wherever wisdom is the goal, hearing will be the first virtue. Jesus himself implored us to consider carefully how we listen. Matthew 13, verse 9, He who has ears, let him hear. Luke 8, 18, So take care how you listen. See, my friends, we are to hear and respond in faith and obedience to what we have heard. My friend, if you hear and heed, you're going to receive more truth. But if you do not hear and heed God's word, you're going to lose it. And the reason many so-called believers do not hear or heed God's word is because they're not of God in the first place. John 8, 47. He who is of God hears the word of God. For this reason you do not hear them because you are not of God. Something to think about. Now the verb to hear is what's called an infinitive of purpose. It underscores the necessity for the public reading of Scripture. In the first century AD, most people did not own a copy of the Scriptures. There was no family Bible. They had no Bible to carry the church. In order to know what the Scripture says, they were dependent upon listening to the oral readings of Scripture and memorizing what they heard. And that's why the early church placed a premium upon the reading of Scripture. 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation and teaching. Man, what a contrast to modern believers today. We've got baby Bibles, children's Bibles, a myriad of study Bibles, pew Bibles, and even apps that enable us to read the Bible on our phones and tablets. And nonetheless, excuse me, nevertheless, for all the available Bibles... Modern Christians here in the West are biblically illiterate. And we are biblically illiterate because we do not listen or hear and heed the word when it's read and explained. As well, notice that it is incumbent upon believers to be quick to hear. See, James places a responsibility upon you, the listener, to you, the congregation. It's not the preacher's responsibility to get you to listen by being entertaining or relevant or engaging. Believers are responsible to listen. And therefore, I would urge you to evaluate the degree of desire that you have for God's Word. Psalm 19.10, they are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that they may grow in respect to salvation. Do you desire to hear the word read or even read it for yourself? Listen, my friend, if you can find the time to read the newspaper, a biography, or a historical novel, or anything else for that matter, then you certainly can find time to read Scripture. I ask you, do you listen to the Word being preached? How often, when the Bible's being preached or exposited, are you spending your time doing something other than listening? 
Perhaps you're sitting here doodling. I got a, I got a word for you. Instead of doodling, try taking notes. Perhaps you're playing with your phone. I got a word for you. Put your phone down. Perhaps you're talking to someone else. Here's another word. Zip your lip. Be quiet. Be silent. And listen. Which brings us to James' next command. Be slow to speak. See, the second requirement for accepting the word of truth is to be slow to speak. Now, this is the flip side of be quick to hear. The term slow, broadus, is the opposite of hasty. It refers to a delayed reaction. Speak, the verb speak, laleo, refers to talking or prattling. And so being slow to speak means that we should, not re, that we should keep silent when Scripture is being read and exposited, and we should not react hastily or rashly to what we hear in the Scripture. In other words, believers should be taking the time to think, evaluate, and comprehend what we read in the Scriptures. It means that when the Scriptures are being read and exposited or explained, you are not conversing with someone else or even trying to explain to someone else what you think the Scripture is saying. There needs to be a decree of decorum when the scriptures are being read or exposited. There is an appropriate time for questions and discussion. But that time is not during the reading or exposition of the scripture. Again, Ecclesiastes 5.1-2 urges us not to be hasty in word or impulsive to speak when God's word is being read or explained. Rather, we're to be a few words. Now, in James' day... Worship in the synagogue was very unstructured. As such, attendees were having conversations with one another while the scriptures were being read and exposited. Some attendees would try talking over the readers or even debating with the preacher. Such a situation happened in the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 14, 31, 33, and 40. For you can all prophesy or preach one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. See, Paul exhorted the Corinthian believers to be orderly in their worship by only allowing one person to speak at a time. See, when the scripture is being read or exposited, the congregation must remain silent or quiet, listening to what is being said. That means focusing on what is being read or exposited. Now, your mouth may be shut, but if you're thinking how that verse applies to someone else, or how the pastor should have said this or that, then you are speaking and not listening. You know, when a lawyer reads the will of the deceased, everyone listens carefully and quietly to find out what was left to them. And so, my friends, how many of you are too busy talking or thinking, doing something other than listening to God's will as it's being read and explained. When someone does all the talking, they have little time to hear from God. Proverbs 10.19 says, when, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. 
but he who restrains his lips is wise. I like the New Living Translation here. It says this, Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Now the third requirement to accept the word of truth is to be slow to anger. The third requirement is to be slow to anger. Again, the term slow brought us refers to a delayed reaction. Anger, orgy, refers to someone who is quick-tempered or resentful. As well, it conveys the idea of intense wrath. Now, here, the command slow to anger indicates that we should not be quick-tempered or resentful to the demands of the Scripture, the Word of Truth. Friend, how often do you get angry when confronted with something from the Scriptures that you do not like? See, if you're angry with God's Word, but not with your sin, there's a serious problem. Believer, be aware of the danger of anger. You know, before murdering his brother, Cain was confronted by God regarding his anger. Genesis 4, 6, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Jesus himself stated that anger is the root sin behind murder. Matthew 5, 21-22, You have heard, the ancients were told, you should not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. See, if, even if you have not actually murdered someone, if you are angry with someone, if you have resentment towards someone, you are guilty before a holy God of murder by anger. Believers, we need to beware of unchecked anger. Because it provides Satan with an opportunity to control us. Ephesians 4, 26-27 Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. And not only do we need to keep our anger in check, but we need to check the source of our anger. For example, if you're angry because you didn't get your way, or if you're angry because you're inconvenienced, then your anger stems from pride and selfishness. The only legitimate anger which believers can have is an anger against injustice, as defined by God, or sin. Such anger is called righteous indignation. Now the term for in verse 20 is placed here to explain why anger is not the correct response to the scriptures. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. James thought it necessary to explain the problem with anger because some believers, perhaps some of you, were angry with what they read or heard and refused to accept it. Even today, believers are angry with what they hear from the scriptures. And while you're probably too self-conscious to admit that it's anger, the very fact that you refuse to hear and heed what the scripture says demonstrates your anger and resentfulness. James says here that anger or wrath does not achieve 
Argesomai. Righteousness. In other words, it doesn't produce righteousness. In fact, anger or wrath hinders growth in righteousness. Now, what is the righteousness of God? In the text, the term righteousness, dekai asane, is an authorist. That is, it doesn't have an article. It means that this righteousness is not referring to the righteousness we received at salvation. We call the righteousness received at salvation positional. Positionally, God sees us as righteous or morally upright because Christ's righteousness or Christ's moral uprightness was applied to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, what James refers to here in verse 20 is practical righteousness. Practical righteousness is proper conduct or correct morality lived out following a standard. That is, the righteousness of God is the standard by which we are to live. And that is God's law as revealed in the word of truth. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. In today's world, anger and rage are becoming increasingly all too common. Because society has become self-centered. The cure to anger is to become scripture-centered and to humbly submit to God's commands. So the first step in receiving the word of truth is to accept the word of truth. The second step to receive the word of truth is for us to apply it to our lives. To apply it to our lives. Verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls the term therefore duo, means for this reason it refers back to verse 19 and 20 in other words verse 21 shows what believers are to do once we accept the word of truth namely we're to apply it applying the word of truth requires putting aside all filthiness and wickedness and receiving the implanted word with humility Interestingly, verse 21 incorporates the grounds for salvation, repentance, and faith. You see, putting aside all filthiness and wickedness parallels repentance, turning from something. And receiving the implanted word parallels faith, turning to something. Now notice here that we can apply the word of truth to our lives by putting aside all filthiness and wickedness. Putting aside all filthiness and wickedness. That verb, putting aside, apotithemi, means to be done with or renounce. It conveys two ideas. First, it conveys the idea of removing old stained clothes and throwing them away. And second, it means to simply renounce something. And both of these ideas or meanings are present in verse 21. Paul and Peter also use this metaphor of putting aside. Ephesians 4.31 Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you with all malice. Colossians 3.8 But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. 1 Peter 2.1 Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. The two apostles expanded the list of behaviors that we are to remove and renounce. Bitterness, Get rid of it. 
wrath, put it off. Anger, renounce it. Clamor, slander, abusive speech, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. All of those behaviors need to be put off because they're going to prohibit you from applying the Scripture. Are any of these in your life? I would encourage you. No, I'd exhort you to remove and renounce these behaviors. See, those who possess the word of truth are to remove and renounce any attitude or actions that would be considered filthy or wickedness. In fact, James says, all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Now notice that each attitude or action here is enjoined by the term all, pas. It's exhaustive. It leaves no room for a deviation. That is, we are to renounce every aspect of this filthiness and wickedness. You cannot keep some filthiness or some wickedness. You must remove and renounce all filthiness and all wickedness. Now, filthiness, ruparia, originally referred to a buildup of earwax. Here, James uses the term to refer to every kind of moral uncleanness, filth, or impurity. His point is that immorality and impurity will impair your ability to hear God's word. Wickedness, kakaya, is an evil habit of the mind. It's the perverting of something to accomplish an evil end. James clarifies the term wickedness with the phrase, all that remains, parousia which means an overabundance of something. In this case, an overabundance of wickedness. Ephesians 4.31 and Colossians 3.8 translate the term kakia as malice, which conveys the idea of vindictiveness or vengefulness. Peter used wickedness, kakia, to describe the sorcerer Simon, who attempted to purchase the Holy Spirit for less than righteous purposes. Acts 8.22, Therefore repent of this wickedness, kakaya of yours, and pray the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. My friend, the only antidote to eliminate filthiness and wickedness is repentance. You know, you change out of your dirty clothes daily. Therefore, believer, you should be daily repenting of any filthiness or wickedness with which you have become stained. Now, if you put off your old clothes, then it is of necessity that you put on some new clothes. And for believers, that means we are to daily be putting on Christ. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Putting on Christ means to follow or model your life after His. He lived a holy and pure life. Therefore, you and I are to live holy and pure lives. And when we live holy and pure lives, we'll provide no place for filthiness or wickedness. Can you say before a holy God that you are living a holy and pure life? So we apply the word of truth to our lives by putting off or renouncing and removing filthiness, and wickedness. We can also apply the word of truth by receiving the implanted word 
with humility. The verb receive, decamai, means to accept, embrace, or appropriate. It is an aorist of urgency denoting that we must not delay in accepting the word of truth or in applying the word of truth. The same word is used in Acts 17.11. The Bereans received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. The Bereans urgently embraced the word by engaging in the study of it. Do you engage in the study of God's word today with that same sense of urgency? I'm fearful that many do not. I'm fearful that many believers spend more time watching television, surfing the internet, and posting on social media than actually studying the Word. My friends, we are to eagerly engage in the study of Scripture in humility. James places the term humility in the emphatic position to stress the attitude we are to have in regard to the Word. It needs to be our top, our preeminent attitude towards the Word. Humility, protes, is an attitude where one accepts what God has to say without resisting or resenting what He commands. It implies that someone is not impressed with one's self-importance. In other words, as you study the Word of God, you must be a teachable individual. You can't have a know-it-all attitude when you come to the Word of God. And if you lack teachableness, if you're unwilling to study, if you believe that you know all that you need to know about God, you're disobedient. Paul admonished Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 to be diligent, accurately handling the Word of God. The verb accurately handling means to cut a straight line and was used amongst the leather, carpentry, and masonry trades to denote accuracy or precision. In other words, believers must make every effort with eagerness, with earnestness, with excitement to precisely and accurately interpret all the Scripture. Without a doubt, the word of truth is the word implanted. The word, the term implanted, Emphutas refers to a seed sown and denotes the word of truth as a seed planted. As Peter stated in 1 Peter 2.23, you've been born again not of seed which is perishable but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. James' description of the word as the seed implanted alludes to the parable of the sower. The word of truth is implanted at regeneration and takes root in your heart. He says here that the word of truth is able to save your souls. Now in the context, save your souls is not a reference to salvation. The verb saved, sozo, does not refer to salvation from sin, death, and hell. Instead, it means to receive or rescue someone from harm. 2 Timothy 4.18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And though the word of truth was implanted and took root in your heart, resulting in regeneration, it needs to be regularly implanted into our hearts in order to rescue us daily from filthiness and wickedness. This implantation or receiving of the word is not passive. In other words, we must actively receive the word daily. How do you receive the word daily? 
You receive the word daily by accepting it and applying it to your life. Friends, if you would accept and apply the word, you're going to be equipped to endure trials and escape temptations. Now, how is it that people attend church and Bible studies for years and never seem to grow and have no discernment? Well, Paul says in Hebrews that such believers are dull of hearing. Hebrews chapter 5, 11 and 12. Concerning him we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. In other words, these people have spent years in the church, but they're still spiritual babies. Is that you? Are you a spiritual baby, even though you've spent years in the church? You say, well, how do I know? Well, here's a question. Are you hung up on the basics or elementary principles of the Word of God? Listen, if you're still stuck on the basics, you're a baby. Are you able to think or rationalize biblically? If not, you're a baby. And here's the reason you're dull of hearing. It's because you have not taken heed to Jesus' exhortation to take care how you listen. Others of you may be dull of hearing because you're too busy giving your opinions about the text and debating what you think the text says. And still others of you may be dull of hearing because you're filled with anger or resentment because the scriptures called you out on your nonsense. My friends, the challenge for all of us is to be like the Bereans and receive the word of truth with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. I challenge you to approach the scriptures with clear ears, closed mouths, and controlled emotions. Receive the word, accept it, and apply it to your lives. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we come to you with heavy hearts. Heavy because we are if we're honest, fearful that we're not receiving the word as we should. Lord, we confess that we don't always listen. We confess that too often we're running our mouths. We confess, Lord, that there's even times when we're angry. And so, Lord, we confess these things. We repent of them. We ask, Father, that you give us victory in these areas. But Father, each and every person who's listening who's, would receive the word by accepting it as the word of truth. Father, if there's someone struggling to listen, if there's someone struggling to zip their lip, if there's someone struggling with their anger, Father, I pray that your spirit might come alongside of them and do a work in their heart. It's only the Spirit of God at work that can initiate the change necessary. Father, I pray not only would we accept the Word, but we might apply it to our lives. Father, we confess that we tolerate too much filthiness and too much wickedness. 
that, Lord, if we took the time to examine our lives, we would probably acknowledge that there are all of those areas, whether it's bitterness for some or anger for others, malice, slander, evil speech, whatever it may be. But, Father, these things are keeping us from applying your word to our lives. So, Father, as you bring these things to our attention, I would ask and pray that you would forgive us, that we might confess them and forsake them. We might remove them and renounce them. And then, Father, in humility, may we pursue your word with eagerness, with diligence, the word that can keep us from every evil deed. We pray this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.